0: So that's Daniel chapter 7, verse 1 to 14. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked uh, up by the roots. And behold, in this horn uh, were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten uh, thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts... his kingdom, uh, one that shall not be destroyed.
1: Over the uh, course of this month, uh, almost every university Christian group uh, that is affiliated to this national movement known as the Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students have met or are meeting this very week like us in their mid-year conference or equivalent. And over the years, thousands and thousands of students have actually had their lives transformed because of it. And it's such a thrill to see so many of you here, and especially those of you who are here for the first time. And if, like me, uh, you came feeling as if you didn't know anyone, uh, and you're wondering what's happening, uh, it's been a bit of fun and people are nice, but I'm still unsure as to what's going on, uh, do hang in there, because I trust that by God's grace, it really will impact your life into eternity. So please pray with me as we look at God's word together. Our Father and our God, we do thank you for the privilege it is to gather here this evening in this place. And we pray that you'll please open our eyes tonight so that we may behold the wondrous things of your gospel For the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. In the ancient world, the word gospel was not a religious word. In fact, the word gospel was a media word. Simply meaning news. I take it you've gathered that given that we're filled with newspaper behind me. It's all about news. And in this sense we get gospel 24-7, don't we? Every evening on our television stations they give us either 30 or 60 minutes of news, of gospel. Whether it's News at 5 or Prime News or wind News or SBS News or ABC 24-hour news. Whichever news you pick, whichever news cycle you get, you get the news. On ABC Radio when you actually travel and listen to the radio, Yes, there is such a thing called radio. Every 15 minutes you can get the news, the headlines. Mind you, most of the time it's not really news. It's kind of where you can find Pikachu or something like that. But that's not really news, is it? But occasionally, there's momentous news. The kind of news that really rocks your world. I have a friend who was travelling and he heard some firecrackers go off and suddenly all these people just started to shiver and, and duck for cover. And he thought there was only firecrackers you guessed it he was in france france is on edge because of what's transpired over the last 18 months with three terrorist attacks and so our french friends our french brothers and sisters recognize that the gospel that they have heard about even though they weren't there at those events necessarily the gospel they had heard has really turned their life upside down events that change their lives news of them keeps them glued to their television sets transfixed by the developments of what's taking place see that's gospel the kind of news that really really is momentous that really will affect the way we live that's what the word gospel means, pure and simple. And in the ancient world, such news was not so easily accessible. It had to be couriered by a person, by a messenger that was sent to run from the event to those waiting for the news. And couriers, fast runners who could run long distance, were highly prized and they were in fact rewarded. There is a legendary story of a guy named Pheidippides who in 490 BC ran 240 kilometres from Athens to Sparta because he wanted them, or he was the courier to ask them to actually provide some help to help the Athenians, the Greek, uh, Greek army, against the invading Persians. But when he went to Sparta, Sparta said, no, we're not going to help. So he ran all the way back to say, news, they're not helping. But in the end, this tiny Greek army actually defeated the invading Persians. And so he ran from, wait for it, the field of Marathon for 42 kilometers to Athens to give them the news. The news was, rejoice, we have won. And then he promptly fell and died. Now that's a legend, by the way. I don't know how true it is. But I just thought, you know, that if you run that far, you might die. (laughs) But it's news. It's momentous news. Changes lives. And as we begin our mid-year conference, it's our prayer that God's news, God's gospel, really will blow your world apart and transform your life like that. You might be thinking, I know what the gospel is. I've been going to the church and I've been hearing this gospel over and over again. We've spent... countless hours looking at it, and we think, those of us who prepared the content for the material, we think we're only touching the tip of the iceberg. But I hope you really enjoy the tip, beginning tonight with what we're calling the Anticipated Gospel. So in your booklets, you're on page 47, and there is an outline there that I hope will be helpful to you. I'm going to encourage you to take notes, not because the words I'm going to say is something that you're going to hold on forever and ever, but rather that you can check that what I'm saying actually comes from the word of God. We begin with Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet who prophesied about a gospel courier in the end time. Israel, the people of God, had been conquered and occupied by the enemies of God. And the people of Israel, therefore, were discouraged, they were humiliated, they were poor, they were made aware of the gravity of their own sins, and it is into this context that we begin with, Isaiah 52. Can you turn to the book of Isaiah 52? Now, if you're used to looking at one part of the Bible, chapter by chapter, that's not the kind of talk you're going to get this this week. We're going to be looking at a number of passages, so if you're someone who finds it hard to get to Bible passages, Well, uh, hang in there and we hope that you can really be helped by people around about you, etc. And don't ever, ever feel embarrassed about going to the contents page at the beginning. okay? But if you're really finding it hard to keep up, just stay in the book of Daniel. That's where we're going to head to eventually and hang there for most of the evening. But if you're fairly quick, get to Isaiah 52 right now. Isaiah 52, verse 7, where we read, How beautiful, verse 7... How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Your God reigns. Here is Isaiah speaking of someone who has beautiful feet. Wasn't that a great game that we played this afternoon? Gospling. Many of you were running around. Some of you had really muddy feet as a result. Some of you had muddy ankles. One of you actually almost broke your knee. David Bell, where are you? Still alive? Okay. Yeah, yeah he's still walking around. So there you go. It's just an amazing kind of... thing. And, and your feet might be blistered or cut or muddy or whatever it is. But they're beautiful if you brought the real gospel to those places. Some of you had false gospels, I understand, that were taking places, especially to China. What was it what? You had the prosperity gospel going there as well, and other things. Terrible people, you heretics, you. Uh, may I share with you, by the way, I got the gospel to Spain. Even the Apostle Paul didn't get to Spain. But I did. That's another story. Your feet may be bruised, cut, blistered, but if you take the real gospel to places, you have beautiful feet, says Isaiah. Why? Because they belong to a gospeler who brings momentous news. And the news? Your God (laughs) reigns. Your God rules. He rules as the reigning king of the world, and it involves proclaiming peace. Shalom. The sum total of all God's covenant blessings. Please let this news sink in. Why is this news momentous? Why is this news earth-shattering? Well, can you think of anyone else you would prefer to rule the world? Any one of the world's present leaders? David Cameron, even though he's about to go. But boy, he's got a good sense of humour if you saw something of what he did in the last speech. Vladimir Putin, Xi Jinping, uh, King John Un, uh, Malcolm Turnbull, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, (laughs) Donald Trump. (laughs) Uh, Do you want those guys to rule the world? Any leader from past history? Nero, Hitler, Gandhi? Would you like to have the eternal welfare of God's creation in your hands. You think you could rule the world. Most of us can't even manage our own lives or shower every day, I understand. <laughs> but it's sensationally good news that God, who made this world, is the one who rules it. It is absolutely sensational news. And this is the gospel that was anticipated by Jesus. Remember you looked at this in your seminar? Gonna to go to quickly to Mark, Mark chapter one. We're gonna flip back and forth a little bit at the beginning, but hang in, Daniel, if you're finding it too hard. But go to Mark chapter one. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I don't mind you turning pages because it's a way of getting to know their Bibles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Mark, Mark chapter one, verses fourteen and fifteen. You looked at this in your seminar. Chapter one, verse fourteen. Now, after John, John the Baptist, that is, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And here Jesus is identified as the gospeler, the announcer of the news, the one with beautiful feet. And what is his news? The kingdom of God is at hand. But what is this kingdom of God? Well, the phrase kingdom of God actually is not found anywhere in the Old Testament. Would you believe that? It's actually not found there. Kingdom of God. But the word kingdom is found everywhere. And even though it's anticipated all over the Old Testament, the phrase kingdom of God is not there, but we get the idea that it's all about God's reign, God's rule, God's rule as king. And Jesus is saying that when he walked on earth at his first coming, it was near, it was upon us. But it was anticipated from the very beginning of time. In the beginning, God made the world. Does that sound familiar? He's the loving ruler of the world. And even though the word king is not there in The first book of the Bible and in terms of the first chapter, Genesis chapter 1, it is the key idea. He is the loving ruler of the world, the loving king of the world. And in the ancient world, an image of God, an image of the king was considered to represent that God or king. And so when God created Adam and Eve in his image, they are the evidence that God himself is the king. They are the evidence that God is the ruler of all creation. Humanity was created in God's image to represent his kingship, ruling the world as stewards or trustees under his loving rule. So your iPhone doesn't belong to you. It's God's. Do you realize that? You're just the steward of it. So make sure you use it well, won't you? Your iPhone. Yeah? Your, your house doesn't belong to you. Your car doesn't belong to you. Your, your textbooks don't belong They're all gods. You steward those things. Your money is not your money. You steward those things. God is king over everything. Humanity was created in God's image to represent his kingship. But by the time you get to Genesis chapter 3, humanity decided to reject God's loving rule and seek to rule themselves. That's box 2 of two ways to live that you had presented to you today. And God judged humanity by casting them out of Eden and destroying them in the, in the flood and, and scattering them all over the world in the Tower of Babel incident in Genesis 11. But God also mercifully, mercifully preserved a line from Adam to Seth to Noah and to Abram. And so... Flipping back now to Genesis chapter 12, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12. Now, if you're not all that familiar with the Bible, can I point out to you that in this first book of the Bible, after the first three chapters, which are absolutely foundational to everything, Genesis chapter 12 is one of the most fundamental passages of the scriptures. And I'm sorry about this flipping back and forth. We're going to just do this a little bit at the beginning, but then we're going to go into Daniel, as I said. Genesis chapter 12, we meet this man called Abram. Verse 1 of Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, there are three aspects of this promise. God will give them a land, God will give them offspring, a nation will be created, and God will bless them. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And the people who are to descend from Abram, who become the people of Israel, are to be a conduit of blessings to the whole world. Land, offspring, and blessings. And if you've never heard this before, I find it most helpful to remember the first letter of each of those words as an acronym. Or a word, really. It's land, L, O, offspring, B, for blessings. L O B. Isn't that nice? So think Lob, think Roger Federer, who should have won Wimbledon, and everybody's just cut that he didn't. Lob, land, offspring, blessings. And what do you do with promises? Real question. What do you do with promises? You. You. You keep your promises. What about if the promise is made to you? What do you do then? You. You can shout it out. Believe, Believe these promises. Or what's another word for believing these promises? Trust. Trusting these promises. Yeah, you trust a promise. That's what it is, isn't it? You trust the promises. If the promises are made to you, then you trust those promises. Sorry about this back and forth bit, but I hope you're following the logic. Galat- if you if you're not quick don't worry listen really carefully but if you think you can get there feel like we can go to galatians chapter three galatians chapter three galatians ephesians philippians it's after two corinthians one corinthians two corinthians galatians galatians chapter three and verse seven galatians chapter three and verse seven because this is oh, one, one way of understanding the bible by the, way. the best the best commentary of the bible is the Bible. okay? You know how they have commentaries, people who write commentaries about the Bible? Well, the best commentary is always the other part of the Bible. And this is a commentary on Genesis chapter 12. Isn't that cool? So cool. So better than Pikachu. I'll just point that out to you. (laughs) Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached what the gospel beforehand to Abraham did you know that gospel had the uh, sorry that Abraham had the gospel preached to him what's that preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying in you shall all the nations be blessed so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith see what's he saying what is the anticipated gospel it is the promise to Abraham that all the nations would be blessed That is, through Abraham and his offspring, all nations would be blessed. You know that really cool song that everybody loves? Father Abraham had many sons. Had many sons, had Father Abraham. I'm one of them and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord right hand. Every time you do that, just think, this is sensational news. This is just, this is gospel. This is unbelievable Left hand, oh, unbelievable! Right arm, unbelievable! Fantastic whole body, unbelievable! This is news that is beyond compare. This is this is news. What's that got to do with? Because see, how does Father Abraham have many sons? <laughs> that sounded like a birds and a bees question, doesn't it? I don't mean that at all. How does Father Abraham have many sons? How do all the nations? get blessed through Abraham and his offspring? Well, by trusting the promises of our God and king like Abraham. That's what he's saying, by trusting the promises of God. In fact, the promises to Abraham that are fulfilled ultimately in Jesus. For Abraham trusted God as the one who reigns as king, as judge. He trusted God as the only king and judge who could declare him not guilty. That's what John found out. Isn't that great news? Do you know that the story of everybody who becomes a Christian is an absolute miracle? I want to give you one piece of homework between now and tomorrow. Ask someone if they are a Christian. They may not be a Christian. And if you're not a Christian and you're here, praise God. I'm so glad that you're with us. But if you know someone's a Christian, ask them, how did they become a Christian? This time, don't use charades Yeah, if you did that in your seminars. Ask them. It's one of those sensational things. And rejoice in how they became a Christian. It really is sensational. Right? Abraham trusted God and because he trusted God, he was declared not guilty. Likewise, if we trust God and his promises, especially regarding Jesus, we too are declared not guilty. More of that in time to come. So to summarize so far, the anticipated gospel couriered by beautiful feet is the news that God reigns as king. And that as king, he promises to bless all the nations through Abraham and his offspring. And this news calls upon us to trust his promises as king. That's the anticipated gospel so far. And as such, God advances his kingdom as Abel and Enoch and Seth and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Gideon and Samson and David and... and, and, and As they trust the promises of God, even though they know nothing of Jesus especially, if they trust God's promises and they live by trusting God, well, they believe the gospel. There's there's a content to that gospel that has to do with a blessing to the nations. As more and more people trust God as their king, then more people become sons of Abraham among the nations. The kingdom of God is advanced. But what is this kingdom of God like? What is this anticipated gospel really like? And now here's where we're going to spend the lion's share of tonight in the book of Daniel. So please turn with me to the book of Daniel. Daniel, and herein we'll stay for the rest of the evening. Daniel chapter 1. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel. I missed a a book along the way. Don't worry. It's after the book of Ezekiel. If you don't know where that is, just go to the contents page. That's fine. There's no embarrassment about that whatsoever. Daniel chapter 1. The kingdom of God in the book of Daniel. A bit of background. The background actually, well, let's read it actually in the first four verses of Daniel 1. I think we can pick up some background here. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of judah nebuchadnezzar king of babylon came to jerusalem and besieged it and the lord gave jehoiakim king of judah into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of god and he brought them to the land of shinar to the house of his god and placed the vessels in the treasury of his god then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, skilful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Here's the background you see. God's own city, Jerusalem was invaded and conquered by the mighty Babylonian empire and its king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And some of the precious items of God's temple were now taken away and placed in the temple of the gods of Babylon. And the people of God would have been wondering, where is God? Doesn't he rule? What about the promises to Abraham? You're going to be a blessing to the nations. And yet we're just conquered now. Where is God in all of this? And if being conquered wasn't enough, the king ordered that all the leaders and the best of the people, young, good-looking, highly intelligent, Wollongong Uni student types, were to be taken to Babylon and given new names, learn a new language and culture, trained up to be able to serve in the king's palace. It's hard to appreciate, really. But just imagine that Islamic State somehow just grows and invades and takes over Australia. And we, the university students of Australia, are taken to Iraq to live under Muslim law. And those of us who are sisters here will always have to wear the garb and be covered up. And your names, every male amongst us, you'll be called Muhammad. And we all have to learn Arabic and speak it in order to serve the nation of Iraq. That, that's the feeling. Can you picture that? Can you? I mean, it's just, just out there, isn't it? But, but that's what happened to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. But the big point of the book of Daniel is that despite appearances, God reigns. That sound familiar? Despite appearances, God reigns. God rules. Look at chapter 1, verse 2 again. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Or look at verse 9 of chapter 1. Just look at verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. I'll go down to verse 17 of chapter one, verse 17 of chapter one. "As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom." You see, who's in control? Despite appearances, God is in control. God rules. God reigns. And God revealed this great truth that he rules and reigns through King Nebuchadnezzar in a dream in chapter 2. But it's more of a nightmare rather than a dream. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had this nightmare and he wanted his own magicians and astrologers and wise men to interpret the dream for him. But he was very shrewd, Nebuchadnezzar, because he knew that they wouldn't just be making things up by asking them to actually tell them, tell him rather, what his dream was before they interpreted it. Isn't that cool? Instead of telling them the dream and saying, okay, you interpret it, he said, no, no, you tell me what the dream is before I let you interpret it. So it was a double whammy. He was very shrewd. He knew that if he revealed what his dream was to them, they could have given him any kind of interpretation. And indeed, that was what they asked him to do. But instead, he knew that the only person who could reveal what his dream actually was, was the person who could also interpret it. So it needed to be someone who had divine influence. Next semester, we're going to have the privilege of a man named Mike Doyle, who's going to be our missioner. But you're going to hear more of that in a moment, in a mission. But I'm told that when he was teaching this part of the Bible, he actually, <laughs> for the sake of living illustration, rang up an astrologer, and he said, "I want you to interpret my dream." And she said, "Oh, well, what was the dream?" And he said, "No, nope, you've got to tell me what the dream is first, and then interpret it." And apparently, it was all recorded, and apparently, it was just hysterical. That, you know, and said, "What? What? I, I can't do that. What do you think? Precisely, you know." <laughs> and it was just exactly what's happening here. You can't do that, but of course no one can so Nebuchadnezzar got so angry that he ordered that all the magicians and sorcerers in the land be killed is that lovely what a lovely king he is <laughs> and to cut a long story short Daniel prays to God and God reveals both the dream and the interpretation to Daniel who then passes it on to the king and everyone is kept safe but what was the dream look at Daniel chapter 2 in verse 31 verse 31 here's the dream that he had, that was revealed to Daniel and then revealed back to the king. Verse 31 of chapter 2 of the book of Daniel. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. And this image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Imagine having that kind of dream. I don't know whether this guy had nightmares. No wonder he said, Oh, there's no way I'm going to let this out, let people interpret. They could interpret all sorts of things out of that, couldn't they? So, what was the interpretation? Go to verse 36. Verse 36. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, verse 37, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given whatever, oh, sorry, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth, and there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. And all this happened exactly in history. Do you realize that? It actually happened. First there was the Babylonian Empire under King Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold. Then after that came the Medes and the Persians. Then after that the Greeks and then the Romans until the time of Jesus. All mighty kingdoms that came and went in ancient history. It actually happened. And you will also learn, no doubt, have learned about the great superpowers of modern history, although those are not the ones that are on view here, but we know them as great kingdoms of history in modern history. The United Kingdom when England ruled the world, the Soviet Union, now America, who's next? China? may well be but it doesn't matter strong powerful kingdoms will come and go but god's kingdom has come and it will bring all the others to an end it will i had a friend who was preaching this very passage in the united states to a group about this size or oh, probably a lot bigger and he said Do you know america might come and go and they looked at him go you're kidding no we're not you know i mean it's, it, it might come and go it doesn't matter how great the kingdom is. It doesn't matter how strong the kingdom is. The point is that despite appearances, God's kingdom will rule forever. But the world can appear out of control. There's an ongoing hostilities in the Middle East, what we've seen in terms of the terrorist attacks of uh, yester, well, a few months ago, rising tensions between North and South Korea, wars and rumors of wars in the African continent, deadly earthquakes, tsunamis. We don't appreciate this here because we're so blessed in, as we live in Australia. And we get a little too comfortable and therefore unprepared for it. It's just so good here, isn't it? It's just so good. And in Daniel chapter 7, which is where we had our Bible reading, we learn about another nightmare. So please turn to Daniel chapter 7. Another nightmare that Daniel has that nevertheless was meant to comfort the people of God under oppression. And in short, the major thrust of this chapter is to inform us that even though the world can appear out of control, God is in absolute control. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel takes us to the reign of King Belshazzar who followed King Nebuchadnezzar. Right, So he's another king the successor of Belshazzar. Chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. And then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. Now we'll just pause there for a moment. Before we get to the beasts, please note firstly that they all came out of the sea. The sea. It wasn't one of those nice calm oceans on a summer's day in Wollongong or Shalaba. <laughs> no, this was a time when the four winds, the four winds churned the ocean up. Absolute chaos tsunamis are everywhere now the reason this is important to note is that in the bible the sea was a metaphor for evil and chaos have you ever appreciated the fact that when you get to revelation 21 there is no sea it's gone but here the sea is the dwelling place of hostile and dangerous creatures And historically, the Jewish people generally never really spent much time on the sea. Back in Daniel's dream, great and terrifying beasts arise out of the sea. And we will discover what they are beastly kingdoms that are terrifying but transient. Beastly kingdoms that are terrifying but transient. Connor read it out to us. But just by way of summary, the first beast in Daniel's dream was like a lion had the wings of an eagle, but somehow its wings get torn off and it's lifted off the ground to stand on two feet like a man. The second beast looked like a bear with three ribs of another carcass in its mouth. Terrifying. Told to go and eat as much as it wanted. The third beast looks like a leopard with four wings on its back and four heads and given authority to rule. And the fourth beast, it's not like the first three. It was terrifyingly indescribable apart from having large iron teeth that crushed and devoured its victims. It has ten horns symbolising full strength and another little horn that came up among them and uprooted the first three horns before it. So what are these beasts that come out of the sea? Look at verse 17. Verse 17 of Daniel 7. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. The beasts are kings and represent their kingdoms, terrifying kingdoms that will rule the world of their day. And as we look at history, we know that these kingdoms come and go. As I mentioned before, it really fits the history of being the Babylonians, the Medes and Persians, then the Greeks, especially under Alexander the Great, who conquered all sorts of places, and then the Roman Empire, the time at which Jesus came. All of them terrifying, formidable in their day. And although some of these kingdoms are terrifying, they will be transient. They won't last because God is in absolute control. In the middle of Daniel's nightmare concerning the terrifying beasts that come out of the sea, there is this vision that makes him look up. The vision is there in verse 9. Look at verse 9 of Daniel 7. It says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A steam of fire issued... And came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. That is, here is a picture of God described as the Ancient of Days, and he is the Eternal One who is in absolute control, seated on his throne with thousands and thousands of servants attending him. Have you ever been to a theme park where you've been on one of those roller coasters? And you're just kind of going mad everywhere and there's vomit flying everywhere and so on. And the smell, you know, like that's, that's kind of like when you don't have a shower for a long time. But, you know, that, that kind of feeling. A- and then it's just everywhere and, you, you know, you're just losing all orientation and you're screaming your lungs out. But then there's a person who's actually operating that, that particular roller coaster. And he's there or she's there just in absolute control. just pulling levers here and there. That's kind of like what's going on. We feel like the world's out of control, but there's someone who's in control. It's as if 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 this whole roof just burst apart and you can look into heaven itself, there is the Ancient of Days who is in the control room, who is controlling everything that's transpiring, even though this place seems absolutely chaotic. But God is in control. The Ancient of Days is ruling. But there's more. The Ancient of Days is in a courtroom where he's about to pronounce judgment and what is the judgment we had it read to us in verse 11 i looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking this is the little horn that came up and as i looked the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire and as for the rest of the beasts their dominion was taken away but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time Remember, the beasts here refer to kingdoms. And the kingdoms, why, they're transient. They come, they go. No matter how terrifying any kingdom is, God not only created this kingdom, but he also judges them. Nothing is out of his control. Nothing is beyond his justice. Nothing can thwart his plans. No matter how many terrorist attacks there are, the world will not go on thwarting God's plans because they will never be thwarted. One day justice will come and evil will never get away with evil. Now that's kind of out there at one level but I don't know what your life is like at the moment. I've lived life long enough to know that no matter how together you might look on the outside you might be full of stress and turmoil on the inside because of stuff that's going on. I've spoken with enough university students for enough years to know that life could be absolutely up the creek at the moment for you. And you're putting on a brave face, you're here, you seem to be enjoying yourself and together, but in the end you know that you're in desperate need of help, And I don't know where you're at. And I don't know whether you feel like your life is spiraling out of control. But please know that God is in control. Despite appearances, God is in control. God can be trusted. You can entrust yourself to him. And be great to talk to someone about that if that really is the case. Please don't carry on in an imaginary everything is together, if life is just spiraling out of control. God is in control. And blessing and honor and glory and power be unto the ancient of days. And central to his plan. Is the Son of Man. We read about him in verse 13. did didn't We look at Daniel 7 verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. The Son of Man, note, is not beastly. He's the Son of Man. He's human. He comes in the clouds of heaven, not to come from heaven, but to approach the Ancient of Days, did you note that? And he's given authority to rule over all rulers forever. All kingdoms are transient. All kingdoms will come and go, but his kingdom will last forever. And these kingdoms, they, they do seem quite incredible. Did anybody see that movie, The King's Speech? Hands up if you've seen that movie before. Yeah, isn't it a great movie? Do you know that was King George V, the father of our present queen, I say our present queen. yeah. The king's speech, he was actually crowned emperor. Emperor. Then Nazi Germany came, Japan tried, came through World War II, but they failed. But all these things will end, and who will be next? Beastly king- kingdoms may be formidable and even terrifying. But the kingdom of the Son of Man will rule forever. You see, the gospel which is anticipated in the Old Testament is the announcement, the news that God has returned to his people to rescue them from all their enemies and is now present to rule them in the person of the Son of Man. That's what's anticipated in the Old Testament. That's the anticipated gospel. The announcement that God has returned to his people to rescue them from all their enemies and is now present to rule them in the person of the Son of Man. But wait for it, there's even more. Look at verse 26 of Daniel 7. Verse 26. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey them. That is, if we serve the Son of Man then we too stand to inherit the kingdom that will last forever and ever. We will inherit this kingdom. We too will rule in this kingdom. And one day God will intervene decisively through the Son of Man to overthrow those who oppose him and bring all the benefits of his rule to his people. We will rule as we were meant to rule. We don't rule now, but we will rule. This was... What the Old Testament called peace, shalom, in this sense, that when we're ruling with the Son of Man. It'll be a time when when there's completeness and wholeness, a sum total of covenant blessing, the full enjoyment of all that God has promised. Peace, remember, proclaiming peace. And the flip side is that the kingdom of the king, uh, sorry, the coming of the kingdom will necessarily involve the overthrow and destruction of his enemies as well. So either way, his kingdom will advance through the proclamation of his reign, of his rule through the Son of Man, so that Uzbek people and the Baloch people of Afghanistan and the Bengali people of Bangladesh and the Fulani people of Bukhania Faso and the Javanese people of Indonesia and the Kazakh people of Mongolia and the Intha people of Myanmar the Arab people of Yemen and the Shona people of Zimbabwe will all hear God willing this news that God reigns and as these people among the estimated 27,000 ethnic groups come to place their trust in the son of man as their king the kingdom of God will advance the kingdom of God will, will rule. And what is the anticipated gospel couriered by beautiful feet? Well, it's the life-changing, momentous news that God reigns as king and that as king, he promises to bless all the nations through Abraham and his offspring. And this blessing comes as he intervenes decisively through the Son of Man to overthrow those who oppose him and bring all the benefits of his rule to his people And this news calls upon us to submit to the Son of Man as our King. Do you hear the anticipated news? At my first mid-year conference, I went there, as I mentioned before, not knowing many people at all. I went to church. I was involved in a youth group. I was involved in a faculty group. I went there, I hardly knew the people who I actually went there with. But it was at that mid-year conference I was confronted with this news for the first time because I recognised that even though I did all of that and even though I was a good person, a moral person, I didn't even have an overdue library book, I was so good. But I was confronted for the first time that the Son of Man wasn't my king. He wasn't number one of my life other things were number 1 my my chosen career to be or my my family or my sport or my party life or my desire to be respected by my peers so that i whether it's socially or whether it's through you know drunken behavior or something. I didn't get drunk, but I kind of tried to act as if I could, uh, because I was just so so caught up in fighting my identity and being liked by other people, even though I was coming to mid-year conference. But it was at that first mid-year conference I realized that Jesus was not my king. And I wonder whether that's you. I just wonder, or whether if if you have submitted to him as your king, it's still a bit of a struggle, because you know alcohol's got its issues or it's pornography or it's a non-Christian boyfriend or girlfriend or it's something whatever it is, it's just something that's dragging me away from him being my king. And if tonight's the night that you think, maybe that's me can I invite you to do business with the king tonight I know we're going to go to a campfire and sing kumbaya and might as well wear sandals with socks or something or other just to play the part but can there be nothing more important than doing business with the king tonight the son of man of course was the title that Jesus used of himself his favorite title because the gospel is all about Jesus who he is what he's done how he rules and so often in gospel presentations the focus is about how we benefit you know you kind of think the gospel is all about me getting forgiven about me getting justified about me getting reconciled and yes there's truth about that but it's it's all about Jesus first and foremost who he is, what he is, and the fact that he is king. I'm called to submit to his kingship. The gospel is all about Jesus. And we're going to hear more about that tomorrow night. Indeed, for the rest of the week. But tonight, if there's stuff that you need to fess up to God and to one another, please do so. Might as well begin on the first night so we're gonna spend a whole week talking about how it is that we can get things right. But it's trusting God. It's all about trusting God and his promises. So we're gonna pray and we're gonna talk sing by faith, which is all about trusting God as our King. Let's pray. We thank you, dear Father, that you are our King. And that your great news was anticipated in the promises, promises made way back in Genesis 1 all the way through to Revelation. And we pray that you'll help us to trust you. And if there are areas that we know we need to deal with and do business with you, please help us to do that beginning this evening. And we pray that in trusting you, we will gladly live for you as our king into eternity and we pray this for jesus sake amen